Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are letting go of the rope, lowering our voices, and raising our chins because we're determined to keep the power and drop the struggle. What are we fighting for anyway? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself that? What are you holding on to so fiercely that you can't even fathom that there might be another side, a different perspective, or a better answer? We aren't talking about life's ups and downs that can cause the endless roller coaster of adulting. We're talking about the struggles that we create. Let's explore them from all angles to see if we can find some wiggle room. Here, we need to climb up high for a different vantage point because on the ground slugging it out, we only see what's right in front of us or what we want to see. Ready to drop the rope and follow me up the path for the bigger picture? I sometimes think, what's all the fuss about? Standing back and taking it all in, it seems like everyone is mad about something. Tension is high all around us. I've heard, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. Bold statements like that make me think, oh no, what do I stand for? I mean, I don't want to stand for nothing. Quick, quick, what do I stand for? Well, guess what? I have a lot of thoughts, opinions, and ideas. What I don't have is the need to share them all the time with everyone. And even though I have the gift of gab, I don't feel compelled to be the loudest one in the room or the last one talking. Now, maybe that's just me, and you might feel otherwise. Maybe you have a passion burning within you and a push to get everyone to see it, believe it, and buy into it. But even though we aren't on the same page or see everything eye to eye, does that make one of us wrong? What if we were both right, even though we approach life totally different? Is there room in your world for me to be right too? Does me being right necessarily make you wrong? Perceptions are in the eye of the beholder, as are points of view. It's what makes us uniquely different. It also helps push us to learn, flex, adapt, and grow. Eric S. Burden shares his perspectives in Why a Difference in Perspective Can Help You Understand Yourself. He wrote this for Medium.com, and you can also find it at EricBurden.com. There are over 7.5 billion people in the world today, and every one of us thinks in a different way. Sure, there are people that have similar points of view. It's why we're able to gather around particular causes. But at the core, we do things for different reasons. It's this particular fact that has gotten me so interested in people and found a deeper appreciation for people. It was through the fact as well that I learned a valuable lesson. That lesson being that we need to appreciate the differences in perspective and therefore people. In fact, by embracing these differences, 
we can better learn ourselves in ways we can't imagine on our own. Perspective is how we see the world, our own reality. It's unique to ours and ours alone. And is our reality the only one that exists? Well, absolutely not. Every person has their own realities, whether it's job positions or people in general. These positions and perspectives are based on our reality. From there, we see things differently. As a leader or as an individual, it's widely important to see things in different light. By doing that, we add a deeper layer of understanding of ourselves and of others. I always use this example of people in power, like managers or politicians, to explain this. It's easy for people to see at times why managers or politicians do certain things that make no sense. Some people feel that these people are out to get them. They complain about change or something else when change comes. The truth is that those complainers could very well lack perspective. I'm not saying all politicians are saints and all managers are good given the right circumstances. However, their action shouldn't be based solely on one perspective, the general public or their employees, respectively. In order to see things in a different light, there are a few skills we need to develop. Perspective taking and perspective seeking. Perspective taking is seeing things from various viewpoints. In essence, we need to learn to get into other people's shoes and see things from their side. With perspective seeking, it's a lot more than walking in someone's shoes. Perspective seeking is basically looking at things objectively rather than picking a side. It's having an open mind and a willingness to learn what someone is going through. But it's through this cat-like curiosity and willingness to see things in different lights that skills can be used in many different ways. Furthermore, by having an open mind to people's perspectives, you can enrich your life by discovering other things about your life and reality. Perspective also improves society. You could take a global perspective as well and see the merit in having diversity in your group and social life. In order to build teams, diversity is needed. We can see that already in work as people take a more collaborative spirit now more than ever. Businesses alone who have embraced diversity have seen increases in innovation and revenue, for example. Companies who have women taking leadership positions have seen increased revenue as well as further innovation compared to other businesses whose leaders are predominantly white men. These different perspectives and backgrounds are necessary in our lives as it opens up our world. A lot of racial tension that has happened in society today could easily be associated to communities and lifestyles where people aren't exposed to different groups of people for a good portion of their lives. They might have grown up with certain standards or perceptions particular to people of color. 
Those barriers can be broken down by having an open mind and even working with other groups of people, both as a child and as an adult. Abraham Lincoln once said, Judge not, for you would do the same thing if you were in that position. I encourage other people to start living in that way as it encourages us to be both perspective-taking and perspective-seeking. When we have a broad mind and attempt to understand both sides of the coin, we grow. There will always be two sides to every story. So take both in and try to understand objectively. To understand one side is to have knowledge, but to know both is to have wisdom. With that said, why are we always trying to get everyone on the same page and heading in the same direction? So many questions we can't answer alone, but it does give food for thought and, you got it, a different perspective. But what about me? Listen to me. Let me talk louder, cut off the end of your last sentence, and provide a compelling argument because I can't walk away from this conversation until you know that I'm right and you're wrong. I know we've all been in conversations like that, and maybe it's you who feel compelled to assert your opinions and ideas. Sometimes you hear something you don't agree with and you feel it's your place to set things straight. Maybe it's for the good of everyone listening. You know, so they aren't led astray. And maybe it's your own need to be viewed as the expert. Ouch. I know that sounded harsh, but I'm just laying it out there without pointing any fingers. We are all on our own journey of self-discovery, and that requires looking in the mirror, taking inventory, and being honest with ourselves. No pain, no change. Mel Schwartz, licensed clinical social worker, helps us with a shift of mind. Why is it so important to be right? Would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? This is found at psychologytoday.com. One of the most prevalent and damaging themes in our culture is the need to be right. It's one of those essential memes that we take for granted. It's so deeply embedded in our belief system and in the collective psyche that we never even pause to consider it. It would really serve us to inquire why it's so compelling. Before we begin to look at that, let's just reflect on how it impacts our lives. For the more personal and mundane battles over who said what in the midst of an argument, to the larger issues of politics, religion, abortion, healthcare, gun control, or climate change, being right is mandated. It quickens our pulse, causes us to shout, and can sever relationships. It is the raison d'etre for most acts of hatred, violence, and warfare. Our educational system is rooted in the construct of right and wrong. We're rewarded for what are deemed to be correct answers in the ensuing higher grades, which generally lead to more successful lives. Being right affirms and inflates our sense of self-worth. As students, we learn to avoid as best as we can the embarrassment of being wrong. Getting the right answer becomes the primary purpose of our education. Isn't it regrettable that this may be inconsistent with actual learning? 
Can you imagine the generative and exciting learning environment that will result from a class that rewarded asking the best questions? If you think about it, the most intriguing questions are those that don't offer simple answers. Even more, they drive our thinking into greater complexity and curiosity. This would be a most wonderful learning experience. No need to be cautious about a wrong answer. And everyone would be invited to safely participate in a generative and shared inquiry. Children certainly wouldn't nod off from boredom. This experience would look much different than the rote memorizing and spewing back of information rooted in right or wrong answers. Raising your hand to gain the reward of getting the correct answer is pointless. It doesn't teach you anything. You already knew the answer. It simply massages your ego, but it doesn't inspire a genuine learning experience. Cable news shows stage the predictable impasse, particularly in the political arena, fevertly pitching the argument around right and wrong. What is more stultifying than watching two talking heads assert and then refute each other? A mindless ping-pong match. No one walks away any more enlightened than the way they came in, both pundits and audience. Have you ever heard a Republican pause and reflect back to a Democrat that they appreciated their point of view and were reconsidering their own? Or a Democrat acknowledging to a Republican that their own opinion wasn't substantiated by fact as much as it was belief. It would be an extraordinary moment to witness any breakthrough in that stalemate. Would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Although nearly everyone says they would prefer happiness, the battle enjoins over right or wrong. If you pause and consider it, it's really insane, isn't it? The very fact that we would mindlessly choose to win an argument at the cost of damaging our relationships points to something terribly amiss. This inclination leads to the need to win an argument, which assures that no one is actively listening. If I need to be right, and we have different points of view, that obviously makes you wrong. Doesn't exactly sound like the stuff of friendships, let alone romantic relations. This compulsion to be right sidetracks our lives and impedes our learning and happiness. So why is it so vital to be right? It's curious how mightily our thoughts and beliefs defend their territory. Why is it so vital to be right? Well, to begin with, if you're not right, then you are indeed wrong, with all of the accompanying sense of humiliation and failure. But is this a given? Does it have to be this way? Could we accept being incorrect without any loss or embarrassment? I believe this fixation is more likely wed to highly competitive cultures than traditionally oriented cooperative societies. In the latter, issues of right and wrong don't equivalently inform one's sense of self or identity. 
The ego may be shaped by other influences, such as being honored, respected, or altruistic. In first world cultures, the drive to be right advances one in the competitive race. In the desire to get ahead, this is utilized as a core value. I would actually suggest that this is a highly pervasive fixation attachment that ruins our relationships, derails our mindfulness, and erodes our natural instinct to learn. Okay, we've taken the time to study and research. Now, how do you stop the need to always be right? Acknowledging the need for change is the first step. Catching yourself in the act can be number two. And then squelching the need to rebut can be three. Take the time and listen. Right or wrong, in your opinion, makes no difference. Listen and mull the ideas around in your head. Take some time to think them over and go on your own exploration. Being quick to defend or preach a different point of view means you aren't making space for opposing opinions. Dare I say, close-minded, rigid, uneducated? Ouch! There I go again. Here are six more ideas on how to stop needing to be right all the time from Dr. Roger Landry, found at mindbodygreen.com. Number one, recognize that acceptance is not the same as weakness. On the contrary, acknowledgement and acceptance of a different worldview is a powerful act of understanding, self-confidence, and compassion. It's a sign of emotional maturity. The Hindu greeting, Namasta, is the verbal embodiment of this perspective. It translates to, I bow to you. It's an acknowledgement of the soul in one by the soul in another. Within one word, we can find the foundation of peaceful coexistence and rich, lasting relationships. It embodies humanism, peace, and joy. Number two, start small. You're not going to become the Dalai Lama in a day. In the next 24 hours, resolve to let one opinion that is contrary to yours exist without attempting to destroy it. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to give up your contrary opinion. Just say, I understand what you're saying. Or, that's a perspective I hadn't considered. Or just listen and nod. Avoid getting defensive. Of course, if you're confronted with a position that is inhuman or violent in nature, you can't acknowledge that you disagree without mounting an assault against it. Number three, accept that you will never be able to change every opinion that you disagree with. There are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions that you'll never be able to change. Other positions contrary to yours will always exist, and a good chunk of them, if not right, are at least logically defensible. Let the little ones go. You may state your differing opinion without attempting to force your opinion on others. Number four, prioritize kindness and compassion over feeling right. 
This is so much more important than converting the world to your very limited view. We all face challenges. We all suffer loss and pain. All of our opinions are informed by circumstance. Unless you've lived someone else's life, you can never fully understand why they believe what they do. Listening to the reasoning behind someone else's feelings can be revealing. It deepens your connection with that person and broadens your interpretation of the world around you. Number five, look for an opportunity to change your opinion. In a situation where your opinion differs from another's, tell them that you're open to accepting their view if they provide good rationale for it. It may not change your mind, but you can still respond that you understand their opinion without accepting their view as your own. Number six, acknowledge that changing your opinion or allowing someone else to prove you wrong doesn't make you any less you. You are a unique miracle of existence. You will make mistakes and succeed, help and hurt others, be right and wrong. You are still okay. You're still you. Compassion for others is a product of compassion for yourself. Start there. It only gets better. This is an unknown quote. When things change inside you, things change inside around you. So it's that time. Let's crawl up for the higher vantage point now. From here, we can see the bigger picture and gain control over our next move. Problems are small and more manageable when you look at them way down there. We can see how the pieces of the puzzle fit together when you can see all of them at once. Remember, perception starts and ends with you. You have the power to choose. What you allow into your life, what takes hold, what you share, and how you react. All within your power. Let's harness that power and take back the control in the midst of the chaos. I've been in sales my whole adult career. Maybe it's just the way I was wired, but I bought into the customer is always right. I have no problem bowing out or bowing down. Being right isn't what gives me power or my identity. I would much rather be kind and compassionate than right. Protecting my inner peace helps me check out of situations or information that tends to threaten that. Does this mean that I'm not fully aware of all the conversations or rather arguments around me? Does this mean I'm not up to date on the most sensitive or emotionally charged topics being shared around the water cooler? Yes, it does. But unlike satellite news stations, I don't feel the need or see the productivity in restating or regurgitating the same negative information over and over again. I'm trying to save my, oh, ah, ugh, grr, for what's really happening around me.
Amy Marin has found 10 things mentally strong people give up to gain inner peace. Letting go of certain things can open the door to true contentment in life. This is available at Inc.com. Mental strength and inner peace go hand in hand. Mentally strong people are confident that they can handle whatever life throws their way. That's not to say that they don't feel pain or that they don't get sad. They experience their emotions on a deep level. But they don't waste energy wishing things were different or trying to change other people. They stay focused on managing their own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. They also make self-improvement a priority because they know there's always room for improvement. And they give up these 10 things that could destroy their inner peace. Number one, engaging with toxic people. The people you surround yourself with affect the way you think, feel, and behave. Engaging with people who lie, gossip, bully, or cheat takes a toll on your well-being. Mentally strong people don't waste their energy trying to change toxic people. They establish healthy emotional and physical boundaries. Number two, excessive self-blame. Thinking everything is 100% your fault, whether it's a failed relationship or an accident, will affect the way you see yourself and the world around you. You can't always prevent bad things from happening. Mentally strong people take appropriate accountability. They recognize they're responsible for their choices, but they also acknowledge factors beyond their control, like the state of the economy, the weather, and other people's choices. Number three, chasing happiness. Thinking you need to be happy all the time will backfire. Momentary pleasure is much different than long-term satisfaction. Mentally strong people are willing to put in the hard work it takes to gain contentment. They refuse to give in to the instant gratification or temporary indulgences. They look for ways to build a brighter future by creating long-term goals. Number four, staying comfortable. It may seem like staying inside your comfort zone is the key to feeling good in life, but avoiding discomfort always backfires in the end. Mentally strong people face their fears, venture into unknown areas, and test their limits. They know that being uncomfortable is tolerable and allowing themselves to experience discomfort is the key to living a better life. Number five, the victim mentality. Thinking the world and the people in it are out to get you will prevent you from being your best. In fact, if you blame all of your problems on external circumstances, you'll never take responsibility for your life. Mentally strong people acknowledge their choices, even in the face of tragic circumstances. They focus on the things they can control, and they refuse to waste their time hosting pity parties. Number six, trying to impress people. You could waste a lot of your life trying to make people like you. Depending on admiration from others, however, gives others power over you. 
Mentally strong people are comfortable in their own skin. They don't waste their time worrying about whether other people approve of their choices. Instead, they focus on living according to their values. Number seven, the pursuit of perfection. Striving for excellence is healthy, but insisting on perfection is an uphill battle. You'll never feel good enough if you set the bar impossibly high. Mentally strong people accept that they're going to fail and make mistakes. They are able to acknowledge their flaws and weaknesses. Number eight, grudges. You may think holding on to a grudge somehow punishes someone else. But in reality, clinging to anger and hatred only reduces your life. Mentally strong people let go of grudges so they can focus their energy on more worthwhile causes. That doesn't mean they allow themselves to be abused by people. It just means they don't allow pent-up resentment to overtake their lives. Number nine, the quest for material things. No matter how much money you make, a bigger house, a nicer car, or more expensive clothing won't give you peace of mind. Expecting material possessions to satisfy your needs will leave you sorely disappointed. Mentally strong people aren't necessarily minimalists. They can enjoy nice things, but they don't expect their material possessions to give them joy and contentment. And number 10, complete self-reliance. Thinking you can do everything on your own is about acting tough, not being strong. There will be times when asking for help is important. Mentally strong people aren't afraid to admit when they need help. Whether they rely on a higher power, ask for professional help, or lean on a friend during a time of need, they gain strength from others. Knowing they don't have to have all the answer gives them a renewed sense of inner peace. Inner peace comes from knowing your beliefs and the willingness to act according to them. It takes mental muscle to do that. Fortunately, everyone has the ability to practice mental strength exercises every day. The more mental muscle you build, the easier it is to find true contentment in life. Mental muscle, that's what I'm building. Boy, I wish I could count that as actual exercise. (laughs) Nope, nothing is that easy, but it is that important. I figured out over eight years ago that if I wanted things to change in my life, I had to start with myself. I had to finally stop blaming others or a set of circumstances for where I was or what I was doing. I had to make a commitment to myself that I needed change to see change. Of course, I'm not done. I won't ever be done. But I can say that I've come a long way. What helps me continue to grow is my inherent curiosity and my cravings for connection. I also share as I grow. If I waited until I had everything figured out to share with others, I would be silent forever. When I was in training to be an Arthur Murray dance instructor, yes, you heard me right, my boss and teacher said to me, you only need to know three steps. I said, I can't possibly teach someone only knowing three steps. She said, you know three more than they do. You're learning every day, and they only come once a week. 
at that pace, you will always widen the gap. I never forgot that. So you only need to know three steps to start sharing your journey with others. Tony Fockery backs me up with his article, If You Want to Change the World, Start With Yourself, found at medium.com. Leo Tolstoy says everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. It was the American author and speaker John Maxwell who wrote, most people want to change the world to impact their lives, but the world they need to change first is the one inside themselves. Everyone has an opinion on what's wrong with the world, yet few will do the work to improve their own lives. It's easy to draw attention to what's wrong in the world because on one level, it's frustrating to observe these conditions and stand back why they take place. I often remind myself and others, the world has existed for 4.54 billion years and is much older and wiser than we are. We have existed for a minor part in that timeline and conditions weren't always ideal. In fact, history shows conditions were less than idyllic. So a utopian paradise needn't exist for us to be happy. We can still thrive despite the unrest in the world because outside conditions aren't as bad as you think they are. If you want to change reality, start with yourself first and attend to your own personal development. In doing so, problems give way to solutions and no longer affect you. Author Larry Weidel writes in Serial Winner, Five Actions to Create Your Cycle of Success. If we all live the richest life possible, it's personally fulfilling, but it also changes the world. Mother Teresa said, which I always quote, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Most people are frustrated or angry with circumstances beyond their control. They believe if they could control these situations, they would be happy. Sometimes it's not possible since there are too many things to control. It requires redesigning your life to suit you or playing God, neither of which is possible. It's simpler to attend to your own personal development. So when you feel frustrated, angry, or any other disempowering state, become curious and work on that part of you that's at war with reality. It's futile trying to change conditions out there because life is constantly changing. It's like trying to keep plates spinning on a stick while more plates are added. You can't keep up and they will eventually come crashing down. It makes more sense to work on yourself so that the outside conditions no longer affect you as they once did. This is the key to enlightenment, raising your level of consciousness so that you transcend problems with a higher awareness. Albert Einstein reconciled this principle when he said, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used to when we created them. Consider the following example highlighting why you must attend to your own personal growth if you want to change the world. Imagine 100 people who are constantly complaining about the state of the world. One day, they collectively decide they've had enough and undertake personal development to change their lives. Within months, 
They've stopped whining and are now open to embracing life instead of being mirrored in their problems. They act from a place of love, peace, and joy. You've heard it said, you are the sum of the five people you most associate with. Therefore, if 100 people can influence five others, we now have 500 people who are now more self-aware than before. If that cycle continues, a tipping point will occur so that anger and fear will no longer prevail. You don't have to change the world. You just have to change what you pay attention to in the world. And that, it turns out, is hugely powerful. Woodrow Wilson said, You are here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world. As we wrap it up, let's go through the top 10 highlights of Keep the Power, Drop the Struggle. Number one, perceptions are in the eye of the beholder, as are points of view. It's what makes us uniquely different. It helps push us to learn, flex, adapt, and grow. Number two, perspective taking is seeing things from various viewpoints. Perspective seeking is basically looking at things objectively rather than picking a side. Number three, when we have a broad mind and attempt to understand both sides of the coin, we grow. Number four, there will always be two sides to every story, so take both in and try to understand objectively. Number five, one of the most prevalent and damaging themes in our culture is the need to be right. Number six, Being quick to defend or preach a different point of view means you aren't making space for opposing opinions. Number seven, acknowledgement and acceptance of a different worldview is a powerful act of understanding, self-confidence, and compassion. Number eight, you are a unique miracle of existence. You will make mistakes and succeed, help and hurt others, be right and wrong, but you're still okay. Number nine, mentally strong people make self-improvement a priority because they know there's always room for improvement. And number 10, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you to drop the rope, listen with an ear for understanding, walk away when negativity threatens your inner peace. Pull out of the power struggle and let go of the need to be right. Change starts with you. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I